The Gospel reading is from the 21st chapter of Luke, verses 25 through 36. There were many Jewish faithful prior to the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago who devoutly and earnestly anticipated the appearing of their promised and long-expected Messiah. Although they found much difficulty in understanding all that the prophets had spoken concerning his anguish and suffering. Likewise, there are many Christians today, 2,000 years after his birth, who similarly struggle with much the prophets have spoken regarding Jesus Christ, our Messiah. But their difficulty lies with that which the prophets have spoken concerning not his suffering, but rather his glory. We may wonder at the unbelief and lack of understanding of the Jewish faithful, but most certainly the greater reproach should be ours. For one would think that it would be easier to believe that the Son of God, the blessed second person of the Holy Trinity, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, would appear in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory than that he would be born into our world as a babe in a manger and as a carpenter in the isolated town of Nazareth. Indeed, we believe the nativity narrative because it has already happened, not because the prophets foretold it. And maybe it's time we stopped wondering at the unbelief of those who discovered their anticipated Messiah in a feeding trough for animals. If it be asked how they could possibly be so blind to the obvious meaning of so many explicit predictions of the suffering servant, the man of grief and sorrows. The answer is that they were blinded in exactly the same way that many Christians are today to the equally evident meaning of a far greater number of predictions regarding his earthly glory. And that is because they spiritualized the scriptures. In other words, the ancient scribes told the people that the prophecies of Messiah's sufferings were not to be interpreted literally just as some modern-day pseudo-intellectuals are telling the people that the prophecy of Messiah's earthly glory and his return for his faithful are not to be interpreted literally. Unless one realizes the unmitigated importance that lies in the interrelationship of both of his advents, it is impossible to fully grasp the tremendous message of the gospel, the good news in its entirety. We must see Christ on the cross, and on the throne, and that they are the complementary expressions of one and the same Savior. If we emphasize one, either one, to the exclusion or diminution of the other, our spiritual growth, our personal testimony, and our faith will be incomplete, ineffective, and weak. We are still living under the shadow of His first advent, but we exist between the cross and the crown between the cloud that received Jesus out of our sight and the clouds with which he will return to judge the quick and the dead. What should be of utmost importance to us is not when, but why Jesus will be returning to earth, the necessity of his second advent. The two advents of our Lord are the great events that link heaven and earth, God and man eternity, and this finite world. And they are the only things that do. Apart from them, 
All our life is as a passing thought, a vapor, irretrievably consumed and eternally irrelevant and soon vanishing into oblivion. Everything you see around you, all that ever has been and all that ever will be, all you do, all your efforts, all that any man or woman has ever accomplished during their brief encounter with life through this mortal, temporal, material existence will result into total meaninglessness in the realm of eternity if not related to Christ's two advents. Harsh words? Perhaps. But if you don't believe them, do you honestly have the right to bear the name of Christian? If Jesus is truly the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, and if He became man, suffered at the hands of man, and bore the inscrutable, unfathomable consequences of the sins of all mankind, died, rose again unto the Father, and promised to return one day to rule and reign throughout eternity, how can anything have any eternal relevancy if it is not intimately related to those two dramatic events? The first advent of Jesus Christ was the means, the bridge, the ladder by which God approached unto man and through which man was then able to experience true, meaningful access to God. His second advent will be a far wider link whereby heaven shall come down to earth and ultimately earth shall go up to heaven. Christ hanging on the cross of shame and rejection and Christ sitting on the throne of glory, we dwell between these two boundaries. As for our Lord's first coming, therein lay our rest, the sacrifice of our sins and our peace with God. As for His second coming, therein lies our hope, our joy. For we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. If you believe that a righteous, holy God has or will put away sin in any other way than that which at so great a cost He has provided. If you believe that the sin of the world can be removed in any other way than by the death of His only beloved Son, by the shedding and application of His blood. If you believe that there are other methods of pardon available other than by the sacrificial offering of Himself, and that His death was not the only effectual atonement for sins, then believe this also, that Christ's second advent will be for you not an occasion of joy unspeakable, but rather one in which you shall be counted with those in that day whose hearts fail them for fear. You can't have it both ways, and the day of His second advent will be the proof of it. The first advent of Christ, we seem to have very little problem accepting the birth of the babe in Bethlehem, of God's gift to mankind, of the innocuous infant lying there helpless and so non-threatening to our way of life. We add tinsel and sparkling lights and festive activities, the giving of gifts to those we ignore the rest of the year, smiles and joyous singing, an abundance of food for all, even for the homeless, which our conscience tells us not to forget this time of year. And a false sense of peace on earth pervades our thoughts. Many, however, find it considerably more difficult to accept that same infant when he has become of full stature, 
a mature man who speaks of the evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness that are resident and proceed from the hearts of every man. Many recoil at his command to deny self, take up the cross daily and follow him, to be willing to lose one's life for his sake, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and to take no thought for tomorrow. Many, both then and now, find his sayings hard, difficult to reconcile with their earthly pursuits, their aspirations, their personal goals, and even with their oh-so-necessary leisurely amusements. And so they begin to soften, to temper what he had to say, to modify or reinterpret according to what they deem more palatable and in conformity with their chosen way of life. They claim Jesus didn't really mean what he said, that he knew we would understand what he really meant since we're so much smarter than the audience that he spoke to back then. And what of the cross? Ah, yes, they will accept what he offers them there, will allow him to forgive them their sins, their hardness of heart, their errant ways. They grieve and mourn at the thought of his death, his burial, and are comforted when they consider his resurrection and ascension. But that is not the end of God's purposes, the end of the sacred history. Many wish it were and live as though it was. As long as Jesus is somewhere out there doing his thing, answering their prayers when they get desperate, blessing their earthly pursuits, giving them the never-satiated desires of their hearts, and as long as he remains there to receive them into heaven when they die, they are content. They intend to live life here to the fullest with as much gusto as possible, thinking that when they die and are transported to heaven, they'll do the same there. But the second advent of Christ, his returning to the crime scene here below, if you will, teaches otherwise. The Bible describes this period of time in apocalyptic terms, in figures of speech that are admittedly hard to understand, for it is an unveiling of a transcendent reality that lies beyond this world of which we are so familiar, a description of the transition from this age to the next. And this transition is not so smooth, for everything breaks loose upon his return. Distress of nations, people running for cover, blood in the streets and wide-ranging famine, the earth quaking and the sea roaring, signs in the sky, stars falling, widespread panic. However, this is when we are to lift up our heads, for our redemption draweth nigh. For Jesus tells us he is returning for those who are faithfully waiting, watching, and longing for him, and to pray that we will have the strength to stand before him. That is why so many prefer the babe in the manger, why they keep him there in their own thoughts.